Welcome to Northview, and I want to welcome everybody online and everyone at all of our campuses. Church in the room, can we welcome everybody at our campuses, those online. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we are thrilled that you are with us today. And if you are new to Northview, we are one church meeting across 12 different locations. And we are just thrilled that you would be a part of today's conversation and I love that video because it talks about serving on teams, which I believe is one of the best things you can do with your life. I think one of the best things you can do for yourself is to do something for someone else. One of the best things you can do for yourself is to do something for someone else. I'm convinced that significance is found on the path of service. It is as you live life in step with Jesus and you reflect his character and his nature, you start to do the things he would do. And he would place the needs of others before his own. And he would live to have an impact and to bring about change. And I'm convinced he knew that he would flip the world upside down if he would just get us to love our neighbors the way we love ourselves. Have you ever found that simple solutions often solve stressful situations? I mean, you find that throughout the gospel. Sometimes we overcomplicate things as a way of maybe... Uh, justifying our lack of disobedience or our lack of obedience, right? It's too complicated. But Jesus came and he's like, well, it's actually pretty uh, easy. It's pretty simple. If you would just serve others and place the needs of others before your own, you would find that life would get a lot better. It'd become more fulfilling and you would have an impact. And so I want to encourage you guys, be a part of a team. Join in some capacity. Serve also that you can make a difference. Amen. I love that Jesus invites us to be a part of his story. I love the idea of teams. I've spent my whole life on teams. And this series and this season has me thinking about all the teams I've been a part of. I love March Madness as a, a season in which we get to celebrate the game of basketball. And it just makes me think of the different times I got to participate on teams. And in fact, watching the game last night, I was, I was thinking of some of the teams I played on. In fact, I went through some pictures and I found a picture from a program from one of us. And uh, can you tell which one is me? <laughs> what is funny is... I'm looking at that picture. I didn't even know my teammates' real names. Like we all had nicknames for each other. And uh, my legal, like formal name, Chris Johnson. Only mom called me Chris or Christopher, right? You got the full name when you were scolded. But I played in an era where you were not allowed to smile in the team photos, right? If you, anyone else, you, that was your era. Coach was like, act mean, right? Look mean. And so that was, that was my era. But I, I just have found so much joy and fulfillment and playing and participating in teams, I think you will as well. And I am I'm excited about today's conversation because we're going to continue this idea of, of faith. Guys, I believe much of, much of life and this pursuit of Christ, well, it is predicated and it hinges on faith. And I'm convinced that where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. And it is living eyes wide open, trusting in a good God. Trusting in a God who is faithful. Trusting in a God who is desiring to do the unthinkable in and through your life. It is as we live with that type of hope and that type of confidence that we discover God's ability to do remarkable things in and through our lives. In addition to that, I believe, well, you can't fake faith. You ever found that to be the case? I mean, this is something you really can't fake. You know, it's, you're either trusting God or you're not. You can't fake faith. And I think, like we talked about last week, faith 
It's a two-way street. In the same way our faith honors God, God honors our faith. And I promise you, it is when you lean in, fully surrender to God, trusting him with all that you are, you discover his ability to impart heaven on earth in you and through you. That's a remarkable idea. This God is good. And I pray that every single one of you finds yourself on a journey discovering more of his goodness in your life. You ever find that there are times in your life where, well, I don't know, maybe you're the type of person where you just have a hard time, you lose some things, and you have a hard time finding things around the house. Anyone else, you're, you're a loser of things? Anyone had a situation where maybe your mom or your spouse told you to run upstairs to grab something, and you go upstairs, and you can't find it? And you know, like, they know where it's at. So you're looking everywhere, right? And you holler down, I can't find it. And what do they say in return? So you're telling me if I come up there, I'm not going to find it, right? You ever had that conversation? I think about that conversation because I'm always intrigued by the skepticism I hear being projected onto our faith. Well, this God's a maniac. He's a cosmic killjoy. The guy's angry, right? He's evil. He's all these things. And then I think to myself, so you're telling me that if I open up the pages of the Bible, I'm not going to discover an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God who split the skies and sent his one and only son to die on a cross for the redemption of humanity. I'm not going to find a good and all-loving God. You ever found that to be the case? Sometimes we just take on a, well, we get things projected onto our faith. And as Christians, we've got to stand firm in what we believe in. Our God is good. And if you've yet to discover his goodness in your life, I pray you just lean in. And I pray you find yourself at home here at Northview. Because this God's remarkable. And today I want to I draw your attention to a passage of Scripture found in the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts, many people understand it as the Acts of the Apostles. But a more accurate understanding would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before he would ascend to heaven, would get his disciples together and he would say, Hey, I am going to the Father and this is good news. Guys, I'm about to leave. But good news, which doesn't sound like good news, right? I'm guessing someone in the bunch, it had to have been Peter, would have raised his hand and been like, I've, I have an objection. This does not sound like good news. But Jesus followed it up and he said, because I am sending a helper. Other portions of scripture or translations will say an advocate. A more accurate translation of the word is Jesus says, I am sending you a defense attorney. That's a more literal translation of the word. He's saying, I am sending you a defense attorney because you live in a world where things are accusing you. You live in a world where Satan still seeks to accuse and project shame upon those who have been bought by a price and saved by grace. And I am sending you the spirit of God also that you can live empowered and live through this grace. You won't find that you just need that defense attorney in your life. I feel like if there's anyone the Holy Spirit needs to defend me against, it's me. Have you ever found that you just have a, an ability to foster guilt in your life, foster regret, fall into self-loathing and self-deprecation? Before you know it, you are the one manufacturing the shame in your life. Jesus says, hey, this is, this is good news because now the Spirit of God can live in you and through you. And the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it resides in us. This is a big thought. And guys, today's message, 
it's going to be more pastoral. This is going to be a little bit more on the teachy side of things. And know that my agenda oftentimes is to hopefully develop greater substance within our church. For those who would lean into the pages of Scripture, I do believe that is what you take on, a greater and greater substance in your faith. Here's a hefty thought, but I believe the key to going deeper is density. Density is the key to going deeper. Like if I had a a volleyball and a bowling ball in my hands and I were to throw them out into a pool of water, one would sink and the other would float. Same size ball, different density. And my prayer as you follow Christ is that you take on a greater density, a greater substance that come what may, you stand your ground and you are rooted in your faith. Take on a density. And so this is probably gonna come with Maybe some head cramps for some of you, but I do believe it'll serve you well. In the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit doing all these remarkable things. And the mission of the local church is birthed and it moves forward. And it moves forward quickly. And then we find ourselves being introduced by a a man by the name of Saul. Who then becomes notorious as the man named the Apostle Paul. That's kind of what God does. He changes some names. And Paul immediately is on mission. He wants to do everything he can to tell as many people as possible about the love of Christ. And know this, love, well, it attracts a lot of hate. Jesus is proof that love attracts a lot of hate. Paul was proof of that as well. He would go out and he would start telling people about the goodness of this Jesus. And to some surprise, he would be attacked, persecuted, People would hate Paul because of his message of love. And just know this, if you live for Christ and you carry out this message of grace and love and redemption, some people are going to dislike you for it. That was the case for the Apostle Paul. Nonetheless, he was committed. And it says to us in Acts chapter 20, Paul says this. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. He goes on to tell us, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He goes on to tell us, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I mean, this is a pretty pregnant verse. And in this verse, I'm going to call today's sermon the vital four. We are in this weekend where we're all watching the final four. I would call today's message the vital four. These are four things that you're going to have to understand. If you're going to live a life for Christ, you're going to have to understand how to manage these four things well. You're going to have to figure out how to discern them as well as endure them. These are four things that trip a lot of people up. But if you can get these four things right and understand them well in your faith, you will find the ability to thrive in this life with Christ. And the first is the Spirit's prompting. It says, he says, and now compelled by the Spirit. And know this, if you follow Christ, there are going to come moments in your life where you are prompted by the Spirit of God. And I know that anytime you start to talk about the Holy Spirit, It gets a little uneasy for folks. And I get that. You know, there are certain things about the Holy Spirit that can flat out spook some people out. In fact, that was kind of my journey. 
I was raised in a, in a charismatic church. And there was a lot of things that I witnessed and experienced growing up that produced a very jaded mindset towards the church. Things that really turned me off to things that I experienced. Things that felt like manipulation, maybe exaggeration. Things that I would witness that I would walk away thinking, was that God's doing or was that man's doing? I was also in a place of my own development where I just allowed those things to take too deep of a root in my life and it, it produced a season of rebellion. I wanted nothing to do with the church. And so I ran as far from it as I could all to discover God in random places in my life. That's what grace will do to you. Even when you get it wrong, God still gets it right. And so I would eventually embrace personally a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was now no longer something I inherited from my parents. It was something that I owned personally. This is my relationship with Christ. I started doing a deep dive into scripture and I started evaluating my experiences growing up. And yes, there were some things that in my upbringing I could look at and say, this doesn't align with scripture. But then there were some things, folks, that without a doubt in my mind, Moments throughout my childhood and upbringing that I experienced the power and the spirit of God in my life. Moments of prayer that undeniably to me, God was very real and present and active in my life. Moments of worship or having a Bible study that there were moments where I seen God do the miraculous as a young child. And so I, I found myself coming back to this appreciation for the Holy Spirit. And I do pray that some of you would either grow in your appreciation, come back to a, you know, some place of appreciation, or discover the Holy Spirit and his value in your life to some degree in this season. Because the Holy Spirit, you guys, is critical. And this is probably the one point I'm going to spend the most time on because this is the one area that I think some of you, well, you need some handles in. The Holy Spirit is critical. As Christians, we believe in the Holy Trinity. Now this is a big theological construct. It's a big doctrine. And you should know that without the doctrine of the Trinity, the Christian theology unravels. So the Trinity is we believe in one God and three persons. I know it's a lot to take in. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is paramount all throughout Scripture. In fact, in the beginning of creation, you find the Trinity on display in which God says, let us make man in our image. When Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water and it says that the Spirit of God descended onto Jesus like a dove and God the Father spoke, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. In one scene, all three members of the Trinity on display. If you do away with the doctrine of the Trinity, folks, our theology, it unravels. And it unravels quickly. And here's the deal. All throughout human history, one member of the Trinity has taken center stage. Come on, lean in with me, church. One member of the Trinity has taken center stage. All throughout the Old Testament, God the Father is center stage. As we jump into the New Testament, God the Son takes center stage and we see the birth and the life, the teachings, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then, starting in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit takes center stage. And church, here's what you have to understand. You and I live in the part of history where the Holy Spirit is at center stage. 
And it is the Holy Spirit at work in our life that allows God to accomplish his purpose and his will. And I know that for some, this, well, this is kind of unnatural to accept. We love God the Father and we love this idea of God the Son. But here's the deal, and this is a hefty thought, but understand this. If you love God the Father and love God the Son, yet you reject God the Spirit, you are unknowingly an unbeliever. If you love God the Father and you love God the Son, yet you reject God the Spirit, you are unknowingly an unbeliever. It's not to say you don't believe in something, but it is to say you do not believe in the God of the Bible. You do not believe in the God that the Christian theology centers around. This is a triune God. And I know this is, this is perplexing. It is a great mystery. In fact, you will not find a, a single reputable scholar, theologian, academic who stares deeply into the Trinity and claims to fully figure it out. There's parts of this that will always remain a mystery to us to some degree until we step into the other side of eternity. And I would caution you, run from the person who claims to know everything. Run from the person who claims to know everything. This faith requires humility and just an understanding that he's God and we're not and his ways are higher than our ways. And the Trinity, know this guys, the doctrine of the Trinity doesn't provide us with a caricature of God. It provides us with the character of God. That he is relational at his core. And our God does not rule humanity with you know, just brute force, but instead with sovereign love. Man, I'm pastoring strong up here, church. It's a lot to take in. But here's the deal. If you're not careful, this is where skeptics are going to trip you up. And this is where a lot of different groups of people have, you know, stationed their arguments on the, the, the battlegrounds of our doctrine of the Trinity. And so if you are ever in a debate with all kinds of groups, Jehovah's Witness, this is where they will attack. Mormons, this is where they will attack. Uh, attack. Islamic people, this is where they will attack. Christian science. And, and you can go on and on down the list. Recently I had a group of individuals dressed nicely, very polite, come to my front door. Knocked on the door. They wanted to have a conversation about God. Which I love these conversations. <laughs> so we're at the door and... They tell me they're Mormon. I tell them I'm a Christian. And this is how the angle approaches. You got to be careful about this. The individual says, now, all right, clearly, clearly you're a smart guy, right? Be careful with flattery. It's oftentimes opening the door for an insult. And what happens is, hey, clearly you're a smart guy. You can't really, truly believe in this doctrine of the Trinity. So you believe in one God. Yeah, I believe in one God who exist in three persons. You understand that doesn't make sense, right? And what will happen is, is that they start to create some embarrassment. And if they can get you embarrassed or doubtful, then suddenly they have a way in to disrupt or destroy your faith. And so this guy goes, That's, that doesn't make any sense. One plus one plus one equals three. That's what he tells me. And I said, well, here's the deal. You have bad arithmetic. 
Because one times one times one equals one. To which he said, you know what? Enjoy your day. We're going to go talk to your neighbor. But here's the deal. Great guys and some good questions. But here's the thing with hard questions. They often expose our addiction to easy answers. This is why we're shallow in our faith. The moment someone poses a question that we're not cocked and loaded with an answer, we take on an unnecessary insecurity in our faith. And then before we know it, we throw in the towel on really big matters. My challenge to you is, well, be a little more rooted in your faith. Be a little more confident in who your God is. And know that this God of ours has stood the test of time, and this generation isn't the first one to pose some questions. And so just because you don't have the answer in the moment, don't become insecure, but be a student who does a deeper dive. Because what you will find is hard questions oftentimes lead to greater and greater discoveries. Guys, this God of ours is miraculous. This God of ours is mesmerizing. I mean, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, always present. He's indescribable. He's unfathomable. I mean, he is incomprehensible. But church, that doesn't make him fake. That makes him great. I don't want a God who's like you. And you shouldn't want a God who's like me. Every single one of us needs a God who is so much greater, bigger, beyond our comprehension. Someone who can do the things we can't, amen? We need this. And so for some of you, I know this, you're going to find that the doctrine of the Trinity is a great mystery. But know this, the doctrine of the Trinity makes God fascinating, not frustrating. It makes him fascinating, not frustrating. But there are some things that you're going to have to receive in faith, in humility. And know this, it's not that God is trying to hide himself from us. It's not that God is trying to trick us. It's not that he is trying to keep us out of the loop as to who he is. God deeply desires for you and I to know him. Here's the problem. Our God is infinitely knowable. Man, that's a big thought. It's not that you can't know him. It's that you could fall deeper and deeper into greater discoveries every single day of your life. And on this side of eternity, you'll never know all that there is to this God. He is infinitely knowable. That's why for some of you, I'm like, my goodness, I pray you don't settle for a sermon on a weekend. I pray you just don't, you know, reduce your life with Christ to showing up once a week to get some advice. Don't settle for advice when Jesus came offering an adventure. It's leaning every single day into, wait a second, who is this God? And so when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit prompting our life, I mean, it really comes down to humility or pride. Which are you going to operate with? So you can either accept this God, and that is to bank on a prize. Like, wow, this God is amazing. Or you can reject this God, and that is to bank on pride. And so the choice is yours. But I know this, you cannot come to Jesus and walk away neutral. Church, you just can't do it. The folks who say, well, I like Jesus. He's a good man, good teacher. 
No, he wasn't. Church, he was either the son of God or he was a maniac who duped humanity. That's who he is. You can't come to Jesus and walk away neutral. And so it's recognizing, hey, this God of ours, he's triune. And at his nature, he is indivisible. Which is why I think all throughout scripture, you would find that God is anti-division. God is anti-division, church. All right. You got to put it in there. You got to do it. But here's the thing. We love God the Father and we love God the Son. But all throughout Scripture, what you find is God the Holy Spirit is the great connector. Right? So God the Father, some people love this idea. And so when they think of God, they think of like a Zeus figure. Right? This big, mighty, holding lightning bolts in his hand. And some, they love God the Son. And so they think of Jesus, the suffering servant on the cross. And so you have sometimes two camps within the church, the grace camp and the truth camp. And it is the Holy Spirit that operates as the great connector. The two were never meant to be separate. Full of grace and truth is the God that we serve. He's the great connector. Makes me think of the other day I was playing football with my boys. And my son goes out for a pass. We drew up the route. He faked his brother out. And I mean, he had a ton of landscape to the left. I lobbed the ball out there, leading the receiver. And he breaks off the route. And so the ball falls incomplete, and he comes back, and he has some commentary on my throw. <laughs> I said, Dad, that was a terrible throw. I said, no, that was a terrible route. I said, if you would have kept running, it would have hit you right in the hands. But you broke off the route. And I think of the Trinity when I think of that example, because... Well, God the Father has put some promises before us. And God the Son has laid out a route in our life. And it is God the Holy Spirit who moves us down the field to position us for the promises and the purposes of God to be fulfilled in and through our life. But church, you can't break off the route. Don't break off the route when God has released some things into your life that he desires so deeply for you to discover and to experience. Don't break off the route. And this is what these individuals in the book of Acts, they got right. Jesus says, hey, go and wait. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Now what's amazing is at the moment Jesus is having this conversation, these men are still cowards. You want to find that perplexing? Jesus over and over again to his disciples, what we're about to you know, celebrate in a couple weeks, the resurrection, Easter. He kept saying, fellas, I'm going to die and then I'm gonna resurrect. Guys, hey, just a reminder, I'm going to die and then I'm gonna resurrect. Hey, just in case they didn't get the last time, I'm going to die and then I'm going to resurrect. Then Jesus dies and they don't even see it coming. <laughs> it's like, no way, right? As much as the predictions were laid out in front of them, they don't even see it coming. So much so, even after the resurrection, they were still afraid. Even after the witnessing of the empty tomb, they are found hiding in a house, afraid of the consequences. Even when he comes walking into the room, some of them are like, I still don't know. <laughs> Guys, after the resurrection, these men were still cowardly. But... The moment the Holy Spirit shows up. I mean, come on, be a student of God's word. Go read Acts chapter 2. The moment the Holy Spirit shows up, these guys go from cowardly to courageous. And you find yourself being like, what in the world just happened? 
It makes me think of the movie growing up, Footloose. Come on, show of hands if you were a Footloose fan. I think we can talk about this movie in church. The only problem with the movie is the church got some bad press. I hate that the church is portrayed in culture as a bunch of just, I don't know, individuals who hate to have fun. And that's how we are portrayed in that movie. But really the premise of the movie is Kevin Bacon, this young, handsome kid, moves out to the country. And he has some chemistry with the preacher's daughter. And the preacher ain't having it, which I feel for the guy. Just wait for one of your sons to make a run at one of my daughters. We're going to have some tension. And so Kevin Bacon, all he wants to do is dance. And they are not allowed to dance in this town. They made a movie about this, and it was a classic. And so they go back and forth, and there's some petitions. And what you find is Kevin Bacon is oftentimes alone, frustrated dancing. You ever danced out of frustration? Right? I'm so glad I didn't grow up in the 80s. Like there are scenes where he needs an entire warehouse to get a dance move off. I, I grew up in the 90s where we just stayed here the whole time. Some of you 80s babies, you needed 50 yards of runway to pull off your move. And so Kevin Bacon, he's out there dancing and it's this whole deal. Well, it leads to the end. Finally, they're going to get to have their dance. These kids who've never danced before, never been allowed to dance, they're going to get to dance. Kevin Bacon and them show up to this barn, and before they get to go in, they have this random little squabble in the parking lot. It squashes after like five seconds. Kevin Bacon heads into the barn, and he comes running down the stairs. Nobody's dancing, and he yells out, let's dance. And suddenly, all these kids who could never dance, were not allowed to dance, become some of the best dancers you've ever seen. I mean, anyone find themselves rewinding back the final scene of Footloose? These cats were killing it. And they could never dance. And you think to yourself, what in the world? I think of this when I think of the book of Acts. These guys who were cowardly suddenly become courageous. Look at that guy. First time and you pull that off? But think about it. Peter, the last time we see him, he can't even admit he was a follower of Christ in front of a teenage girl. Acts 2 happens. He stands out in the streets and he proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people come to Christ. On your first try, that's amazing. And that's what the Spirit of God can do in your life. And guys, know this. God will often direct our lives through three primary ways. And those are promptings, promises, and principles. Now be careful here. Because what we want to do is we want to reduce much of our relationship down to promptings. And guys, know this. If you can't verify a prompting with a promise and a principle, it's not rooted in Scripture and chances are it's off-based. That's how you develop a handle for discernment. At times you're going to be like, hey, I sense God kind of prompting me. Do, does this align with his word? Does it find its foundation in a promise and a principle in Scripture? This is how you develop discernment in your faith. But there will be a spirit's prompting. 
It's critical. And I've spent most of my time on this for this reason. If you can't discern the Holy Spirit's activity in your life, you're going to struggle living this life for Christ. And it's about time as Christians we stop rejecting and neglecting this third member of the Trinity. Amen? Amen. Amen. The second thing is certain uncertainty. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. And I think one of the biggest idols in the church today is certainty. We want to know all the answers. We want to have full control. We want to know what the plan is and how things are going to play out. And the moment something comes with some uncertainty, well, suddenly it creates a ton of insecurity. And guys, you don't have to know everything to believe in something. You don't have to know everything to believe in something. And that's, that's faith, but that's also life. There's a lot of things that you believe in and are confident about that you don't know much more about it. Like when I gave my, you know, when I got married to Kristen, I knew, hey, without a doubt in my mind, for better or worse, I'm committed to this woman. But there's a lot of marriage that I had no idea how this was going to pan out, right? So I know some things, but there's some things I don't know. And the same is true in, in faith. There's going to be some times that the Spirit of God is going to prompt you. You're going to be in a service like this, and you're going to feel the tug on your heart. And you're going to be certain, I know that I know that I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to serve on a team. I'm supposed to join a group. I'm supposed to go on a mission trip. I'm supposed to participate in this first initiative. But there are some things that I don't know. How is God going to provide? How am I going to find time in my schedule? How is this going to work? There's a certain uncertainty. Are you tracking with me? The third thing is there is predictable resistance. He says, I'm now going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know, I only know that prison and hardships await me. I mean, guys, that is, I mean, that's not really great news, but it's just helpful insight that when we step up, Satan wakes up. I mean, there's something about the people of faith putting their feet on the ground that shakes hell to its core. I I just see Satan and all his little minions like, oh my goodness, they're awake again. Like this one is a problem. And I think sometimes we, we don't like to talk about spiritual warfare. But guys, it's a real thing. The same way we serve a good God, he has an evil adversary. And in the end, we win and this nuisance of ours gets defeated. And I mean, it is not even a competition. But in the meantime, he's annoying. This is what he is. And he creates some inconvenience and some irritation in our life. But know this, I believe the birthmark of a Christian is a target. The birthmark of a Christian is a target. And it only enlarges as you develop more and more spiritual maturity. And the more and more you continue following in the footsteps of Christ and living out your purpose. And I know some will push back on that, but here's the deal. Satan attacks you the moment you say yes to God's assignment for your life. But he doesn't have to attack you when you're self-sabotaging on your own. But the moment you say yes, suddenly there becomes a spiritual agenda against your life. And I'd be letting you down 
As a pastor, I didn't say, hey, there's a predictable resistance. And this is where we get exposed for being so superstitious in our thinking. The moment we say yes to God and we bump into inconvenience, some are like, oh, this must be a sign that this wasn't the right decision. But what you discover in a life of faith is where the Lord leads you, the enemy will meet you. And you got to be careful that you don't misread some of the, the uh, adversity that you're facing. What faith does is it allows God to use your adversity to your advantage. But there are going to come times where you're going to say yes to God. And it's going to be met with a challenge. I remember the moment our first daughter was born, Kristen sold out to birthdays in our house. And now for going on 13 years, Kristen has sold out to every single one of our child's birthday year after year and now four times a year. And so we have this whole routine. The moment the kids are in bed, I mean, we spend the night blowing up balloons. And I'm talking about hundreds of balloons. The floor is covered with balloons. Then we sit there with fish line and we tie it to the balloons and we tape them to the ceiling. There's balloons everywhere. The kid wakes up to a, a room stuffed with balloons. As they make their way down the stairs, we have a pyramid of donuts. And the other five of us are always sitting there you know, singing happy birthday. That is our routine. Every birthday, and even though our daughter is 12 now, we still do it for her as well. Every year. And I find myself every year complaining. Like this is exhausting. And every year, Chris is like, no, we're going to do it. One year, I got to go to school with one of our kids. And they had every kid go around, hey, say some of the things that you love about your parent. And my kid went around and was like, I got one. I love my dad that every year for my birthday, he stays up late and he ties balloons and he sets up all the decorations and he puts streamers and he's like, and he stacks up the donuts every year. He doesn't miss a birthday for me and my siblings. And everyone in the room's like, oh. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm thinking like, I hate this, but um, <laughs> thank you very much. Right? I, I took all the credit in that moment. So I say all that to say, our family, we, we moved to Indianapolis. Something we didn't see coming. We were pretty set in Minnesota. Say yes to this huge responsibility. God, I don't know. You ever found that your calling has you questioning your capacity? Like, God, I don't know. Like, am I able to do this? You think of those things. Someone recently a group that works with churches across the country say, hey, we did a study. Do you realize you're the youngest pastor of the largest church in America? And I, well, don't, I, I didn't applaud it. I was like, no, thanks, no pressure, right? But you do, you, you take these leaps of faith and you're like, all right, God, if you don't show up, we're gonna have some issues. But it's been an exhilarating leap of faith. Our first birthday here. It's one of our kids' birthday. And so we're in this kind of temporary condo that we're living in. And once again, Kristen says, hey, we're selling out. All the balloons come out. We still got boxes everywhere, but, I mean, the balloons are coming out. Streamers everywhere. They're all over the floor. I mean, the, the, the pyramid of donuts was epic because now we live right by a donut shop. It was amazing. 
All five of us are in the kitchen. Our child who is celebrating her birthday starts to make their way down the stairs. We have our cameras out like every year filming this moment. Comes around the corner, we start to sing happy birthday. And in that moment, our child has a seizure. Falls to the ground, hits their head on the island. And in that moment, we were introduced to our new normal. You ever had a moment like that? Where you're like, okay, we now have a new normal. Spent the last few months with neurologists and the whole deal. And it's like, come on, God. We said yes to this huge assignment, uprooted our family. Seizures. And what happens is, if you're not careful, you misread. You misread it. And I remember moments after that, we were having a miracle Sunday, miracle prayer here at church. Individuals came forward afterwards and we were praying. And by the time Chris and I were done praying with the last individual, the auditorium was empty. Our child was just standing over here to the side waiting for us to finish. We get done and we're like, all right, are you ready to go? And our child comes walking up. He says, no, I, mom and dad, I'm actually here for prayer. Would you just pray with me? So we prayed and afterwards we were talking about it. And my child said, you know, it's, dad, have you ever found that it's just different when you pray at the altar? I said, you know, that's the one thing I wish I wasn't a pastor so I could talk about. I understand that when you're a pastor, everything you say is heard through a certain filter. I told her, I said, I wish I could just tell people about the power of prayer and how your life is altered at an altar and then not be heard through the filter of, well, that's a pastor thing to say, but it's just what a person discovered in his life with Christ. Guys, there's going to be resistance. And I remember us talking to our daughter and just saying, hey, this isn't a battle we lose. Just to be clear, this is not a battle that we lose. And that's what's fascinating to me about March Madness. One time in the history of March Madness, have all the number one seeds made it to the final four. Every single year, this year included, in fact, we have an eight seed now in the national championship. An eight seed, meaning teams lost games they shouldn't have lost. And sometimes as a pastor, I look around and year after year, like March Madness, People are losing battles that they shouldn't lose. Some of you, you're, you're about to throw in the towel and accept a defeat or a loss in your faith, and it is completely unnecessary. That's what we celebrate in Easter. If death can't defeat you, nothing can defeat you. Depression can't defeat you. Debt can't defeat you. Addiction can't defeat you. Culture can't defeat us. If death cannot defeat us, church, nothing can defeat us. 
And so it's rising up in faith. There's going to be resistance, but only dead fish swim with the current. And when you come alive in Christ, you say, I live a life that is a rebellion against the rebellion. Oh, come on. I live a life that is a rebellion against the rebellion. I don't care what this fallen world and culture says about the God I've served. Him and I have experienced and endured some things enough so I can tell you I'm committed. I'm not moving. I'm unshakable. And I pray you get there as well in your faith. I'm committed to this, God. Come what may, my faith can take a hit. My faith can take a hit. And I'm convinced some of the world won't know our love is legit until we prove we can take a hit. Some of the world, they won't know our love is legit until we take a hit. So there's a spirit's prompting. There's certain uncertainty. There's predictable resistance. And the last thing, church, there's an irresponsible responsibility. I mean, don't you hear Paul's word and think to yourself, who would do that? Now going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that prison and hardships await me, but I must complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. You look at that and you think, Paul, that seems really irresponsible. But Paul would say, yeah, but something in my core tells me it's the most responsible thing I could ever do. Yes, it seems irresponsible. Life of faith, it doesn't make sense to those who don't believe what we believe. But have you ever found yourself welling up with the confidence of saying, I know that I know that I know. It's one of the most responsible things I can do. Guys, that's what has galvanized mine and Kristen's heart when it comes to the first initiative. Guys, hear me on this. If you're above the age of 40, you're fine. You're going to make it. Snow always melts on the edges first. And by the time some of the things that are happening in our world make their way to our backyard, if you look at the trends, you're going to make it. You're fine. But before COVID, all through 2019, from 2010 to 2019, on average in America, we closed 200 churches a week. Let it set in. 200 churches a week we were closing for nine years straight. Snow melts on the edges first. And here's the deal. You don't think it's important. Because right now, you're doing fine. And by the time it reaches our backyard, the Lord's going to be calling many of you home. If you look at the trends of culture, you're going to make it. But would you think for a second, what kind of church are we going to leave your grandchildren? What kind of church are we going to leave your children? And have you ever just looked at culture and think, my goodness, this next generation... They are facing things we never dreamt of facing. The challenges that are before them and the things combating for their identity and the warped ideas that are out there that are just constantly, constantly invading their hearts and minds. My goodness, I pray that our kids and our grandchildren have a place like this to run to in the future. I pray they do.
So you should give as much as you can to this first initiative. You should. Jesus gave it all. You just should. The church is the best investment on the planet. The local church, God's plan A, there was no plan B, is the best investment on the planet. And someday you're gonna pass away, but this church is gonna sustain the generations of your family. It may seem irresponsible in the moment, but I guarantee if you give it to God in prayer, you will find yourself realizing it's the most responsible thing we could do. And here's what I'm convinced of. I leave you with this. If we lose interest, the next generation will pay interest. If we lose interest and we don't give the attention that is due to the moment that we're in, and if we don't get started now, they will not be ready then. And they will have to pay the penalties and the fees for our apathy in this moment. Church, I know this is a pastoral message, but let's rise up in faith. Let's rise up in faith. Amen. Well, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let me pray with you. God, you are remarkable and you are good. You are so faithful and you are so brilliant. You're generous and you're intentional and you are hard to comprehend. But my goodness, the fact that you make yourself known to us is such a gift. Thank you for sending your son and imparting your spirit. And just thank you for your all-encompassing work in our life. And thank you for your extended invitation to be a part of your story. Thank you for the finished and completed work of the cross. With heads bowed and eyes closed, last night we had three individuals here at Carmel give their life to Christ. And chances are some of you yet to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, with no one looking around, on the count of three, I just want you to slip your hand up. We want to introduce you to Jesus. One, two, three. Would you just go ahead and slip your hand up? Outstanding. I see your hand in the back. Anyone else? on the balcony I see your hand sir I see your hand as well three more hands anyone else church all together in faith so we don't leave anyone on an island I see your hand over here as well pray this in faith out loud with me say dear heavenly father thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for my sins. Today, I receive your grace. And I am choosing to live for you for the rest of my life. Be my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.